Welcome to this special episode of From the Persinium, the podcast from Persinia Film Society. This episode we have our special guest Greg Sestero in the in the studio with us. He's in town showing his movie Best Friends Volume 1, and Dustin and I have a chance to sit down with Greg and interview him about the movie, his experiences with the disaster artist, and The Room, and other topics that pop up during our conversation. Let's get started with our interview with Greg. Sorry, there's no music from Dustin to get us rolling into it. Boop, doo, doop, doop, boop, boop. And here we are back in section two of our podcast, and we have in our studios with, uh, with us today... Greg Sestero. It's great to be here. We want to talk to you about Best Friends Volume 1. Sounds good. Yeah, my first time in Troy, Ohio, and I'd say it's very, very charming uh, so far. So <laughs> the, the few minutes it took you to get into town and park? Yeah, like the Mayflower's great. Yeah, happy to be here. I've seen um, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Dustin has seen Volume 1. Greg happened to have written all of it, so he has more insight than we do on this movie. Are we doing spoilers? No spoilers. What do you want? You want spoilers or no spoilers? A couple. <laughs> okay. For a couple. Yeah. That's what we're always we're always on the fence with spoilers or not. Yeah, I I'm I'm fine with going with spoilers, but in reading interviews with you, it says beginning of the movie inspired by true events, and it seems like it's based on a road trip you went on with Tommy. Yes. So how did the road trip inspire the movie? And tell us a little bit about the road trip. So the road trip took place almost exactly uh, 16 years ago, uh, up the California coast, up near Bodega Bay. Uh, Tommy wanted to drive up there uh, to see a morgue that supposedly was haunted. It's also where Hitchcock shot the birds. So it's a long drive up there. It's really windy, uh, foggy at night. And I thought, let's just crash here, drive back the next day. So there was like one motel in town. There was one room left. And I went in there to get it. And I told Tommy, just stay in the car. Because if he saw both of us, I thought he might get a little weirded out. Like maybe these guys are coming here to do meth or something. So he met me around the back. And so he thought I was that was a ploy to try to have him not be seen by the camera or whatever, the, or the front, front desk host. And so he thought I was doing that to try to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so and, how then, long, and how long have you been friends with him by then? That was about almost five years. So when I started writing the script, I pictured what would happen if I like really did try to, to kill Tommy. <laughs> and it started with that, and I had like a little bit of an edible. It was late, a late summer night, and I just kind of started writing, and it just got me to a certain point. And then for the next four days, I just wrote out the story. I didn't think too much about it. I just let the story take me where it went. And uh, in four days, I had the whole the whole thing figured out. And when I was watching it, I saw what I thought were some interesting influences from Story Point and Director's Point, um, particularly the surreal, surrealistic perspective. Was that intentional, or is that just because of the state of mind you were in and just four days of writing, did it just be kind of become surreal as it went along? Yeah, it definitely did. I mean, I, some people that have seen the film have referenced you know, it's got kind of a David Lynch vibe to it. But to be honest, I've, I've never really studied David Lynch. It was just these random dream sequences and things that I thought of that were very personal because, you know, this was based on my friendship with Tommy. So we just kind of went at it. We, we knew we were telling a strange story about friendship. And 
that was just kind of the element that worked itself in and we just kind of went with it. A lot of that stuff came up while we were filming the imagery. We came up with it as we were filming. So, but definitely going in, we knew we were making something that was very offbeat and surreal. That, that brings up one of the questions that might have even answered it. One of my had was the dream sequences are quite vivid and surreal compared to the non-dream sequences, particularly in volume two. Did your actual dreams influence these scenes or did they strictly come from as you're filming them, they got, they developed that way? Yeah, definitely the, the imagery was rooted into the, the story when I first wrote it. But then, you know, as we got more locations and got more into the story, we, we just used those thoughts and, and made them come to life. So I was reading about that you split the movie into volume one and volume two because they are two different types of movies. As a screenwriter, did you envision it this way or did it naturally evolve once you started adapting it to the screen? Um, no, it was written as one story. And then as we were making it, you know, I, I didn't realize till we got into editing that it was two films. Looking back now with time, you know, you could have probably condensed everything into one film, but I just, you know, they're both so different. You know, the first one's a, an L.A. noir style movie, and the second one is like a desert breaking badass. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, those are very, very different. With timing and the way everything worked out, it was just a better, better choice to go with two films. I want to ask how you read those questions. <coughs> I have a tough show, time. Show I, everyone in the room. Yeah, that was that was the question I just asked you. <laughs> I was looking at it like, what is nice. he saying? It's artistic. There, 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 are many, there are many times I can't even read my own writing, so I'm yeah. I'm lucky I got this one out. I, I have so ceiling is what it looks like. Yeah. So I have a question about writing actually, because I have quite a few. I have screenwriters and I have actors, so I have a couple questions about acting too. But what's some advice you would give to like a student, twenty years old, trying to write a screenplay? Because I. I have limited screenplay kind of experience to tell them. I can tell them some pointers, like they do the screenplay like this, but having not written one. I, I think it, so it started for me early on. Like I saw the movie Home Alone when I was 12 and like a lot of us did it, but I, I was so affected by it. I wanted to live in that movie and, and I wasn't really happy in school and I didn't really fit in. And I thought I just, I want to exist there. And so the first thing I did was just start writing a story, a sequel to that movie in which Kevin McAllister gets lost in Disney World, which I had just gone on vacation the summer earlier and I was still wishing I was there as well. <laughs> so I figured let's place this thing in Disney World and randomly he has an older friend that he needs help for, to fight the bandits and, uh -huh. this, and this guy, I'm not joking, his name was Mark, uh, was there. <laughs> And uh, I mean, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. 12 to name yourself Mark, and then 12 years later, you're in a movie called Mark. Uh, <laughs> as as Mark. <laughs> and so, so I wrote this script, and it was the first time I ever really felt alive. And again, I mean, we all want to be great writers or whatever, but it, it takes time, you know? And so at yeah. that time, I thought I was writing something really amazing that I believed in so much that I tracked down John Hughes and found his address in Winnetka, Illinois, and sent the script to his production company. Like 12, I was calling 411, 20th Century Fox. How can I reach John Hughes? And uh, that's how far I wanted to go with it. Um, you know, I sent it and I thought it was going to happen. I thought I wasn't going to be in school much longer. I even had dreams that he showed up to my house in like a Red Ford Explorer. <laughs> 
to sign the contract. And I like I was I was there. Like I really fully believed this was going to happen. And so the script got sent back with a Hughes letter, which I thought was. I thought he was saying, let's do this, but he was really saying no, uh, but he wrote it. He had a handwritten note that said, like, I was really impressed by this, whatever. So that was kind of the, the kernel that started me thinking this could be a possibility. But I think what I learned from that experience, so what I did is I wrote that whole story out handwritten. I wrote it all, the, all out like he did, and then I typed it up. And, um, and really, the most important thing with that is that I got it written. Mm-hmm. You know, I can look back now, even though it's you know, incomprehensible, I still can look at it and read it and it's complete. So I think for, for screenwriters in general, I think just write your story for the enjoyment of it. Don't think who's going to make this, who's going to star in it. I mean, that's stuff that, that's fun to think about, but don't let that get in the way of you just telling your story because it's always going to evolve. Like a script, even with best friends, a script is just, it's, it's a skeleton because when you get on set and people start coming in, it starts to come alive. It, you need to be able to see it change and not get attached to things so much. So I, I just had, I had so much fun writing Home Alone 3, whatever it was. <laughs> and I had a lot of fun writing Best Friends. And then it was just something that, again, I didn't know if it was going to get made when I wrote it. Mm-hmm. I said, probably thought there's no way Tommy would be willing to do this. And there's no way that he'd show up on set to play this part. <laughs> And it, you know, it eventually happened, but I think the joys in the storytelling. So just write, you know, try to write each day. Uh, I've learned that writing is a lot about momentum. When you get in there and you put a couple hours in, next day you come, the story starts to build and you start to think about it. And then before you know it, you have your beginning, middle, and end. So I think um, write because you enjoy it and because it's fun and um, figure every, everything else out after. Do you ever think that maybe John Hughes ripped you off? Because then Home Alone 2 was lost in New York. Uh, <laughs> Instead of Disney, he went, wait, this is if a I change it to, to yeah. You know what I even put in my letter uh, to John Hughes? I was like, this could be a really good marketing strategy with using Disney World to promote this movie. And now Disney bought Fox. Uh-huh. I think they both, I think they I both think ripped it's... me off. You know, I, and I ended up going on Macaulay Culkin's podcast. Oh, yeah. Where, um, oh, that's right. Yeah. We talked about this and we agreed we might shoot Home Alone 3 on his iPhone. That would be awesome. So, yeah. So, I, you know, as Johnny said in the room, they tricked me. They betrayed me. So, yeah. but no, I mean, I guess I still have that script. And I hand drew the cover. Did you like the second one? When you it was saw okay. It, it was good. Yeah. I can't remember seeing the second one. I remember yeah, seeing I mean, the first I, when one. I, I, when I saw it, I enjoyed it as a kid. And not the I, first one. It got um, a little commercial, I thought. Like, you had that song. And they, a little too commercial. The, the first one was just really... Was, you know. It was kind of out of left field. Yeah. For a Christmas movie or whatever. That it really, yeah. It was, it, was a, it was a special movie that, you know, those don't come along that often. Yeah. Do I have one? I have one. Okay. So I'm, a, I'm an artist that also does podcasting. And I do photography mostly, but mm-hmm. I do other, other art. And I submit art and to art shows. And the rejection rate is about 90%. Mm-hmm. And my wife doesn't understand how I can accept that much rejection because you're putting yourself out there mm-hmm. and so much rejection comes back so you're talking about writing the script and letting it go when it goes into production letting it evolve and grow mm-hmm. you hear stories of screenwriters who say they, they want it to stick you, you can't change it mm-hmm. have you always developed this thick skin to rejection realizing that they're changing your script but it's not a personal attack 
Yeah, I mean, really, I felt early on, you know, you go on all these auditions and you don't get anything, you don't get callbacks. But really, at the end of the day, like, there's no other you out there, right? Right. So you're not really competing with anybody. Like, maybe that's just you're not right for that part. Um, and that's what I've learned when I when I made best friends is like I wrote these parts for people that I knew and only they could play these parts so you could have incredible actors come in they're not gonna be right for the Tommy part so I mean the rejection thing you just it just all depends the way you look at it like I went out for so many parts Dawson's Creek supporting supporting roles I never got them because I wasn't really probably right for them right. probably the people that got them were those people you know and so you got to find the parts that really work for you um, and some sometimes it's you know you don't find those those roles or it takes a long time like I you, know, you look at Brian Cranston incredible actor who had been around years and then he plays Walter White and he's just you know and and, and you know it's been six six years since Breaking Bad and he hasn't really done something that has been that incredible not because he's not a great actor it's just because that was such a rare role so right. what I enjoy about making movies now is that there's so much flexibility in how you can make them. Mm. You know, with Best Friends, we just went out and made it. I didn't wait for like a studio to approve or I didn't get, you know, I sent it out to a few friends. Some friends said, hey, I don't know if there's enough for a movie here. And we made two movies. Right. So, so it goes <laughs> to show you can't listen to everybody. You can't wait for the phone to ring. So we went out, we made it. We kind of adjusted it on the fly. We work with a team of people that you trust and you just try to go out there and make the best thing. And, um, and now there's a lot of avenues to get it out there. And we had, you know, Lionsgate saw it and really liked it. So, you know, I'm sure if they probably saw that in the beginning and, you know, read the script, maybe they wouldn't have been interested. But once right. something's like a real tangible thing, it, right. it takes on a different, different life. So I just, I don't really try to take anything personally. I just try to make the best project possible, whether it's my idea, whether it's someone else's idea, Whatever makes the most sense going in, um, staying true to like what you really wanted to make, that's, you know, that's what I try to do. And that's one thing you know, when I, with my students and other artists I work with is make what's, make what's good for you and you will find an audience. There's somebody out there who's going to like what you make. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, the, goal, yeah. Yeah, the goal is to like do what you really love to do, believe in it and, and have an audience that sees it to the point where you can like make a living at doing that and I think from that's all you can really shoot for whatever ceiling you hit after that it's kind of out of your control yeah because I noticed there's times in the book where you talk about leaving wanting to leave and go back or just kind of and you're kind of in between so one of my questions because I do have I have a lot of actors in my class young and so I was gonna say what kind of advice do you have trying to get into acting because I know it's tough and I know they probably have teachers that tell them you know you're gonna get beat down here but how realistic is that where you just feel completely, I guess, dejected, or how often is that? Does that happen in an actor's life where they just finally say, I'm done trying? Yeah, I think uh, it's tough because we're all cut out. I think we all fit in different things. And, and, mm -hmm. and like I, so I try to do the traditional route. And, and I got lucky in some, in some ways because I got a really good agent when I first moved to LA and got a taste of that. You know, mm -hmm. I went had general meetings at Walt Disney and big casting directors booked the lead in this, you know, small horror film, mm -hmm. um, was on a soap opera. So I had a taste of, of that, you know, I was close. I had, my agent was representing Kirsten Dunst, Josh wow. Hartnett at the time. So you're going out for these things that, you know, could be really exciting. But 
you know, and then you have on the flip side, you have Tommy who's like seeing me do this and say like, hey, I can, you know, I come down and do the same thing. I'll get headshots taken. <laughs> and that wasn't really his path, right? Yeah. Like Hollywood didn't want, you know, a guy at that age and looking mm-hmm. like that at that point. But he believed he was like, hey, I'm a star. It's just like they don't see it. And I mean, in a lot of ways, he was right, you know. So his path was doing it like the unorthodox way, which was I'm going to make my own film and make it so loud and make it so visible <laughs> that somebody will see this, something will happen. And um, so I, me sticking to the, to the traditional path, like I, when I helped him make the room, I was like, oh, this is like such crap. I, I'm, I'm going out for a big thing. This is, this is just helping in front of us. This is nothing. Mm-hmm. And then you cut to like 15 years later and, and that movies being talked about at like the Oscars and the Golden Globes and and um, and so really I think for actors like you just have no idea what it's gonna hit what people are gonna respond to and I think the best thing you can do is um, just do as many things as possible whether it's doing a plays being extras in, in, in parts uh, indie films mm-hmm. trying to make your own films I think you, the worst thing you can do is wait because the, the times that I felt the most like giving up was going on these auditions and trying to get waiting for the phone to ring like yeah. I would literally go on a walk and check my phone like 75 <laughs> times to see if I got that part that I auditioned for uh-huh. and that's the worst place to be in because you're waiting for that validation to come that you you can do you can work mm-hmm. and you're throwing away a lot of that like creative fire that you have you're like kind of letting it sit and dwindle away because you're not doing anything with it so like you should never get to the point where you feel like giving up because you should be spending that time doing something whether it's reading monologues recording i mean now now we have like iphones back then yeah. you had to have like a camcorder or vhs now there's so many different things you can do and be creative with that uh that times are so different. Uh-huh. So I think, you know, study. Uh, I know speaking for myself, I took a lot of acting classes, um, read a lot of acting books. I never really felt great about myself until I had more life experience. So I think mm-hmm. as an actor, the best thing you can do, and many people told me this, and I didn't want to listen at the time because I already thought I knew what I was <laughs> doing. But the best thing you can do is get out there and have get life experience. Go travel, meet people, and I think that'll make you a much better actor uh, just because you're more comfortable with yourself you are the yeah. less fear you have of that the better you're going to be that's kind of the same with writing too because having done writing my whole life it's like now that i write i feel more uh, confident yeah maybe even though when you're 18 you think oh this is good stuff but then you haven't lived yeah you have more to say right yeah have you taken are you taking screenwriting classes i never took screenwriting classes i mean to me writing the disaster artist with my co-author uh tom bissell who was a writing teacher as well that was really the best class I could have ever gotten because I had the story I wanted to tell and there was so much there and, and I had to, you know, had to take the exercises of sitting sitting down, writing out the stories, figuring out what made the story, what made it move. And, and uh, it taught me a lot about editing as well, mm-hmm. what you really need to say. So that was a, really a great, a great challenge, great learning experience. I think we all have different talents as a writer. Like I think for me, I feel like my strengths lie more in storytelling, as okay. opposed to other people right. are better at like just prose and all that. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, so you just try to get better at the things you're not as good at. The key is just to keep, you know, keep writing, keep reading, watching movies. See, pick out the ones that that you love and see why they what they did and why why they're great, and then try to try to learn from that. Who are you reading right now, or what are you reading right now? 
I'm reading a book called I-5 about human trafficking because I'm working on a horror film that's about that. So I've been studying um, studying some of those some of those topics that are pretty crazy. Dustin's a big fan of that genre, so Speaking it's my favorite. Dude, bro, party massacre three. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't watched it, but yeah, I saw it's a yeah, it's a horror comedy. It's uh, a parody, right? Yeah, right. made by the guys yeah. who 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 did five second films, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, people have really responded well to that movie. I, I say, I looked at the I looked at the trailer last night, and actually, I actually am interested in seeing it. It's filmed very gritty. Like yeah, it's, it's 80s yeah. Horror. It's supposed to be like a found footage '80s horror film. Yeah, uh, but they did a great job. It was a lot. Of fun. It's like gender reversal, right? So it's all the guys are getting killed. Instead yes. Of all yeah. the movies. <laughs> <laughs> how, how long did that take to film? Were you it was just, like a you know, few like weeks, a, yeah, a month or so. But yeah, I, I was you know I had a decent part in it. But um, it was yeah, it was just a, a lot of fun to do. <laughs> I'll have to watch that. Um, another one, the Dark Knight parody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you seen it? Yes, I have seen oh, that yeah. one. So my question is, how difficult was it? Because it's essentially shot for shot. And how difficult was it to recreate that, how Nolan did that, as opposed to maybe doing it yourself or an original? Yeah, it was fun. We had Legendary help sponsor that, so we had the real bat suit. Oh. So we had a good lead on that. And, uh, you know, I worked with Tommy quite a bit, and cue cards really helped for him. <laughs> uh, it was fun. It was just we were shooting in a place that was like 100 degree weather and I was wearing that suit. Ooh. So I was running out of the gas really fast <laughs> to the point where I was like, I don't think Batman's going to be able to protect anybody at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, getting... I mean, now you can cross that off the list and say, yeah. I got to wear, got to wear the bat suit. But, um, yeah. Did they get the idea... So was the idea from that from him doing the... Was it the... Audition. He did the short, yeah, but yeah, yeah, with so, yeah. The audition, nerdist, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. The same people that shot this, but but they, um, you know, we shot that to promote the disaster artist, mm-hmm. and then we we did the full scene to promote the release of Best Friends. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. I mean, we just it's pretty. Fun. You got the part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like you guys do have a lot of fun together. Is that? Happened off camera as well. I mean, even though Tommy thought you were taking him to a hotel to kill him, but just a day in the life. Uh, it's always interesting. Yeah, it's always interesting. I mean, uh, it's one thing after another. You know, because that, that's one thing in reading the Disaster Artist, and we were talking about it um, out in the lobby before the movie. Is I don't feel the movie accurately depicts the story that's told in the book. The friendship between you and Tommy is so deep and so vital as part of the book. And I don't feel that the, the movie captures those moments where you guys are magically bonding and, it, and the friendship just happens, which... You think it just happens faster in the, in the movie? I, I don't think... I think they, they kind of gloss over that how, how deep and intense their friendship was, how quickly it was. Cause, I think you get it in some parts, though. I mean, but like, they're, they're living together and like, you get it there where Tommy's... You can tell, like... Franco's Tommy is hurt that he's leaving and moving out and all that. So I think you still get it. I, yeah, I still, I, because I love this, that story in the book. And I just wish there was more of it. I think, I think I want people to read the book to understand really what was going on that they might not have gotten from the movie. Yeah, I mean, we were able to go in a lot more depth in the book. Um, the book's, I think, dar- a little darker. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know you're making a hundred minute film, and they just had to like, hey, how much of this is going to be about the room and the making of, and so I think it was kind of a decision they had to make. You know, I, they took the 
the even chapters and move those to the front. So they mm-hmm. told a personal story first, and then they got to the making of the rooms. Yeah, I, it's it was definitely wasn't an easy movie to make, and the book we were able to go a lot deeper about right. his backstory and what I thought and my personal story. So I think they just had to pick the best parts. And now speaking of collaboration, how much how much do they work with you having written it? I always wonder this about Hollywood because sometimes you hear where they they buy it and then essentially they're just like uh, like Kubrick was notorious for that. Like, how much did they talk to you when doing the movie? Oh, they were great. I mean, I, I, to me, I was really, most important was that you passed it off to the right people. Mm-hmm. And I think having a few talks with, with James, I, I knew he was the right guy to make this, this film. And, and I love the screenwriters. And so I just wanted to let them do their thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I'm, you know, it's like, obviously if I'm here, here for you guys, if you need it, but I was just really excited to see what they would do with it. Um, you know, and I read the script, I, I saw right away that they had something really cool. And then you know, making the movie, I had a lot of behind the scenes footage, pictures, mm-hmm. these really weird like tape recordings that Tommy did. Uh, so I just, I just gave as much material to them to help them make the best movie and would show up. And it was just, the whole thing was a really great experience. I mean, you had an incredible cast and everyone loved this story and wanted mm-hmm. to do it justice. So I could just sit back and enjoy it and not, and not worry about yeah. anything. Sounds good. I like it. Yeah. So the, um, Back to best friends. I best noticed friends. there were some references to the room. Were those intentional, or did they just like the spiral staircase? I was like, yeah, oh, that was know. just there. <laughs> it just happened. I mean, in the script, there were zero room references. Oh, really? And then it's like as we were filming, just situations came up where it's like, oh, of course. <laughs> but uh, we tried to just work them in. If they fit and it didn't take away from the story, then um, we were okay with it. It's kind of nice for fans. Though. And I think you, you know you. My goal is, you know, the fans have seen the room now for 16 years and supported us for so long. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I love movies. And my goal of getting into filmmaking was to make good movies. So I'm trying to take this audience and give them something fresh mm-hmm. and new. And but if you give a few winks to uh, <laughs> to the room, I don't think it really kills. Yeah. It. Self-referential. So I was looking through my notes from when we watched the movie, and I just have written on one page why lemons. The Did movie. You, see, you saw part two, right? Yeah. Okay. So you should know is what he just said. Well, but it, it's, I want I want to hear his story uh, of it. I mean, why, why they're in why they're in there to begin with. It's symbolic in several ways. You know, I think um, you know the whole experience of making the room was something people always say like, "Oh, you wish you could go back and just not do it," and it's it embarrassing. And I was like, mm. "Well, it, life is really." it's all about what you make of it. You know, it's like I, I was able to turn in the room into something that I feel like has given me so many cool opportunities and so many great experiences that if I, had to, if I didn't have the right attitude, you know, it could have just been something you want to hide away from and looked at it negatively. You know, it's a lot like lemonade. <laughs> it's as simple as that. It's, what was the one I wrote down? Right and that part in, in part two, uh, and I have lemons all the time, by the way. I, I, start, I start my day with hot water with lemon every single day. It's one of the best things you can do for you. So I happen to have lemons in my bag. I was like, let's just make this work. <laughs> what was the one I wrote down? It was about the clown. Candle in the butt. <laughs> I, I grabbed my note card and I was like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> that was a, a story that Tommy told me years ago. So, so were some of his parts, because I see him watching it, I was like, I wonder how much of this was sometimes he went off script and everyone was just like, just... Yeah, just just keep filming. Like when he was singing, he yeah, the singing was was definitely improvised <laughs> at some points. Um, but he stuck to the script for the most part. I mean, I wrote it 
with his dialogue in mind. Mm. Um, and there were times when he just added his own thing to it. But uh, he was pretty diligent about sticking with the script. In working with Tommy for The Room and watching him write, produce, direct, and star in, when you produced Best Friends and starred in it, did you learn from watching Definitely. Tommy do it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I learned a lot through that. I learned a lot through Disaster Artist, the filmmaking making of that. I think it just, like I said, the key is working with what you have, having the right team. Um, don't try and you know put the green screen in the parking lot. That's going to be it's going to be a lot. So just just be smart about what you're what you're trying to make. It's one of the gifts that we've been given from cinema. Yeah, I mean, at, at the time, green screen was big because Star Wars. Yeah, was, exactly. It was like that was the thing. Yeah, horror movies. What's your favorite? Uh, I'd probably say Psycho. Psycho's good. What's your favorite, Tim? Tim doesn't like. So here's the thing. Tim argues with me about horror movies because he says he doesn't have time. What is it? You don't have time to watch them because you get bored. Yes. <laughs> did you see Hereditary? See, I did not. I've not seen that one okay. yet. What about It Follows? I turned that. I, I got bored watching that. Oh, movie. It Follows is so good. It was on HBO, so I was at home. And when you're when you're watching movies at home, it's easy to get distracted it's easy to get with. Distracted, I need yeah. to do dishes. I need to do laundry. I need to feed the cats. Yeah, because I, I I loved It Follows, and I've shown so many people. And usually they get it, or my dad was like, eh. He's like, I think, is this a millennial thing? <laughs> I was like, what? Um, the Duke. That one was good. That was I've a never, fun one. I haven't even heard of that one. Was, news, was that New yeah, Zealand? Yeah, Australia. New Zealand? Did you yeah. see um, The Strangers? I did not see Strangers. It's a good one. I heard it's good. Um, do you like The Witch? The Witch is yeah, like one of, of my course, favorites. Yeah. Green Room. Green Room's good. Green Room's really good. We just watched Green Room, and I was actually amazed by how good that was. Yeah. Did it's, you see Green Room with Patrick Stewart and No. Antonio? Oh, it's good. It's brutal. So, uh, my so, favorite's The Shining song. Yeah, I mean that's, that's <laughs> so that. So that one just just was its own unique thing. I yeah. think people have tried to like kind of duplicate over the years, but it's just I've you been in that hotel where King came up with the idea. We were just there. We just stayed there. At, at Estes Park? Ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for that very purpose. Yeah, awesome. They yeah. went there specifically because he's a big Shining fan. Yeah. yeah, I just stumbled upon it, driving through Estes Park, and I was like, that place looks familiar. <laughs> and then they also shot Dumb and Dumber there. Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah so. Which I forgot about until down in the basement. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, Dumb and Dumber. That was great. So, Estes yeah, Park. Yeah. So, is that the genre you fall back to when you're sitting down at home and want to relax a little bit? Throw a movie on. Is it? Do you stick to the horror? I've been genre? sticking to that recently. Yeah, because like, I'm writing the writing a new new horror film. Right. So I've been studying. Is that the the, the movie that Tommy's talked about? Big, no, Big, Big Shark? Shark. No, that's just like a that's Tommy. A... <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if, if, if he's really excited about Big Shark. See, it, you the, have the, a theory that Big Shark is. What's your theory? Well, because in the Disaster Artist. When you're talking, Tommy's talking about the big shark being business. Yeah, it's it's in the book. He's right. like, I look so, like business. So I was big shark today. Yeah, so I was so I was convinced that this is a business movie, not a movie about Jaws. <laughs> and he's, he says I'm wrong. That's actually an interesting point. I like that. We haven't seen it yet, so <laughs> if you're right, though, it's a good idea. It's clever. Yeah, well, because because you guys do because you guys do build <laughs> and evolve. Story. It's not like. Yeah. You're going to completely throw away everything you've ever done and the type of stories you tell and go way over here. Well, so, yeah, so what do you think about that? Would you be interested in seeing it like a traditional horror film, nothing to do with The Room? Oh, yeah. Nothing to do with uh, 
any callback, just a straight up. I would just like to see a horror movie. Yeah, I love when it's just the thing with horror is, and I was just telling Tim this other day. When people find out you like horror, it seems like anymore they're trying to catch you on these like obscure titles. Have you seen like Ankle Biters Three? It's like I don't have that much time, so when I watch horror, I just want a good, solid horror movie. Like stick to it, basic. And so yeah, if, if you made just a solid horror film, I'd definitely go see that. Okay. I like when it's more unnerving. So have you seen the new Suspiria? Well, I haven't seen that, no. That's, it's very, there's scenes where, because I've seen so many horror movies now, that like, you know the jump scares are coming in. It's more the uncomfortable that ratchets and ratchets. Okay. That's what I like in horror okay. movies. So. Yeah, like It Follows, it gets that hole where it's just, it yeah. ratchets up. That's, that's what, what about Halloween? I love Halloween. Halloween's great. Ha- Halloween does that, though, where it's, there's not, I guess there's jump scares, but they're done sparsely mm-hmm. did you see the new one I did not I saw the Rob Zombie one that was the last one I saw okay new one's fun cool. yeah, is it yeah I heard it's I, like, I it's saw like the new one I saw how come you didn't see it yeah you, that's you, you, oh did you like us I did like us okay but you want to go it? back because you said good. you want to go back and see if the ending if there are predictors. yeah us is one of those movies you have to see twice because once you get to the end you go oh yeah and then you gotta go back you can go back and see what, if they. What said about the, Get Out? Did you? How did you enjoy that? I like Get Out. It's not as good as I liked Us better. Okay, that's good. All right. So, do you have any more questions from your students that you want no, to bring those up? Those are those are kind of the biggies that I thought they would. So I do have one that that goes back to something we were talking about earlier in the conversation, when you're saying that you were following the, the traditional route mm-hmm. to go through auditions and headshots and all that, and Tommy went the independent route. Are you still are you still part or following the, the traditional route, or are you over in the Tommy camp now where you're doing your own thing? I'm kind of mixing both. It's just the way the industry has changed. I feel like um, there's a lot of ways to do it now. Like movies aren't just made in LA anymore; they're filmed everywhere. Uh, so you're able to do that. But I, mean, I think best of both worlds. I think each one has something to offer, and just try to take the best of both. Because the industry is changing so much, are there Actors and actresses still following the, the traditional route and wondering why it's not working for them? Probably. You know, studios, indie studios are respecting these guys that are bringing movies maybe that wouldn't get approved by studios, but they're getting them made on their own and then they're showing them like, hey, there, there is something there. You know, Disaster Artist is an example of that. You know, James read the book and thought, hey, I really want to, I really want to do this. You know, and I think if you pitched that book, the story in the book to studios, they may have said, who wants to see a movie about a making of a bad movie? Mm-hmm. You know, but he had a vision for it, had the power to get it made, got it made, and people loved it. So um, there's a lot of that going on as well. Did you do the film festival circuit with Best Friends? Yeah, we did a few film festivals, and then we had a kind of a you know big release that was like 700 theaters for like four nights or something like that. So we did a little bit of both, and then we did indie theaters, Alma Draft House, theaters around the country, around the world. We did film festival in Taipei, Russia. Um, so we got it out there as wide as possible. So do you find film festivals a, a viable route for independent filmmakers to get their stuff out there and seen? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we, you know, it's not a guarantee that people are going to see it and oh, pick right. it up, you know, but it's definitely a chance. So one question I had for you, because you're on tour with Best Friends, that seems like an unusual model for getting the movie seen, which I really like that model. It almost seems like it's a book tour for a movie. 
Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you decided to go on tour with the movie? The movie and yeah, well, I mean, I learned the process through the room. You know, Tommy started doing live room appearances like almost ten years ago, and people it's just people lit up for it. And then I went on tour with him a little bit while I was writing the book, and then I did the book tour. Um, and I realized what a great chance it is to connect with your audience, answer stories, you know, show that, that you care as much as they do. Uh, you know, the disaster came out, we kind of did the same thing. So I realized there's a power to connecting with your audience this way, have them see the film, talk about it, you know, and it's like if you want, if you want to keep making movies, I think you got to really connect with your audience. You need a chance to be able to do that. What does that say? How was it writing your own lines, your own lines slash Bible roll roll? <laughs> I wasn't um, writing the Bible. <laughs> yeah. The Bible, <laughs> writing my own lines for, for best friends? Yes. Um, again, it was easy to write with Tommy because it was pulling from real life conversations True. that we've had. And I think, you know, I, people always ask about the room, is it autobiographical? And I think it really is because you pull, you write dialogue for yourself a lot of times what your life experience is. And so I try to give each character a different voice. But I noticed the dialogue really starts to were I think get more natural when you're doing rehearsals and you're seeing what the other person's thinking and you got again a lot of that stuff's placeholder I think especially for myself because when I will say a line or be in a situation I try to just say what I would actually say or what maybe that character would say in that moment I try to put something down that makes sense and gets the moves the story along and at the same time be open to to be willing to change it speaking of lines this is a shout out to my brother here so my brother pointed this line out in the room, and it's like his favorite line, and no one ever thinks about it. And then when I saw it, I was like, that's probably my new favorite line. And it's when you're in the living room, and Tommy's telling that story about the first time he met Lisa, and out of nowhere you say, yeah, I've been making some good money recently. <laughs> and he pointed that out, and I was like, that is probably my new favorite line, because no one pays attention to it. And so yeah, no one even comments It's so out of nowhere. It's like, yeah, man, I'm thinking I'm going to do a bigger play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every like, time I see it. Like okay, anyway, uh, yeah, makes it no, yeah. But if you think about, I say it like I don't want to say it either. I'm like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, man. It's like, all right, that part was great. After he pointed that out, every time I watch it, I'm like, that's the best line because yeah, they go right back into whatever. Yeah. Bizarre story. We're screening Best Friends Volume One right now in the theater while we're out here talking to to Greg, and before the movie, we showed the documentary for the room that you brought in for us to to see. And the theater was cracking up laughing. There's such great snippets from the the movie in that documentary. And people, and the guy next to us hasn't even seen the movie, and he was cracking up. That's great. That's yeah, really so... Wait, he hasn't seen the movie? He hasn't seen the movie. Wow, he's seen every movie. He yeah. didn't come when we, yeah, he didn't come when we played that. Yeah. I put the documentary, it's not really available anywhere. It's just like a private documentary made, made for the book tour. Right. And it's just something that people, like... I, I, I was fortunate to have the behind-the-scenes footage, and I was like, people have got to see this. I liked hearing Juliet's take on things, because I always wondered. Because you don't see much of her. Yeah, that's why it was important for me for this documentary to give people, other people to get a chance mm-hmm. to speak. Because obviously the room is Tommy's voice, the book is my voice, and uh-huh. this was a chance to let the actors kind of share their, their thoughts. So is the doc, will the documentary come out at some point in time? Someday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> After that horror movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Can you tell us what stage you are in with that? Are you writing? Or are you writing? Yeah, I almost have the story all done. Nice. A ton of great locations, and um, I think it's going to be it's going to be really refreshing and really exciting to just go down a totally new path. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm always excited when you're about horror movies. <laughs>
<laughs> well, great. Well, that's great for some. Thank you, Greg. We'll get back in a few minutes with Greg. Dustin, you want to play some music? As fast so, as you can. Welcome back to section three and rapid fire with Greg. Dustin, I hope you have rapid fires because I don't have I any have prepared. Them right in front of me. Perfect. There we go. Ready? So we ask quick questions. What questions you have to answer them quickly off the top of your head without thinking too much. Ready? Marvel or DC? DC. Who's your celebrity crush? Alive or dead? Either one. So you mean crushes in... and. <laughs> <laughs> you want to be or you like? No, who you like. Who would you want to go to dinner with? Like just for fun? or <laughs> I'm trying to, just, I'm trying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying yeah, to get sure. this right. No, no after-date expectations. <laughs> okay, Brad Pitt. Okay. Um, what book would you adapt into a film? In Cold Blood. Yeah. Favorite chick flick? Notting Hill. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I know this is sometimes they get tough they get tough <laughs> here's a tough one favorite Tom Cruise movie uh, The Firm <laughs> who's the director you most want to work with David Fincher this is a trick question he's, he's done this before yeah well this is a common thing here this is a trick question who played the best Batman Christian Bale <laughs> I thought he was going to say himself. <laughs> uh, oh, trick question. <laughs> yeah, trick question. Here's a good one I wrote. If I wrote a film called about killer moths, would you be in it? It's called Moths. Sure. <laughs> sure. And the last question, should I keep my stupid comments in my pocket? No. No. <laughs> and that is it. That was rapid fire. Great. Thank you, Greg, Thank for you, Greg, joining us. Thank you, being on here. It was fun. It was fun. And we will be back with... What's our next episode? Oh, we're talking quick cuts with... It'll be Pet Cemetery. Pet then. Cemetery, right. With Dustin's Horror Corner. This yeah, Dustin's Horror Corner, cuts. yeah. Dustin's quick cuts are always horror movies, apparently. And then we have what? We're doing Summer Blockbusters on the next episode. Summer Blockbusters? Yep. And then for folks who live in the Troy area, April 12th, Greg will be back in town showing Best Friends Volume 2 at the Mayflower. And if you thought Volume 1 was crazy... Volume two is even more insane. I, I, it was, yeah, it, it was, it was the icing on the cake. On the cake. It was on the cake. Thank you. Oh wait.